Blog Talk Radio. Welcome one and all. You have just joined Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. This is Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. An almost unbelievable machine called the Vector. We're going to be talking with him today about So we have a little that he's discovered background noise here in our show. A diagnosis uh, and I don't disease. know Rose, exactly where so it's coming from, time to be a guest on but I'm going show. to uh, click off the possible source of the noise well, right now. Uh, Vector is designed to... Uh, hold on. We've got to get this straight before we product. actually... It's been shown that uh, virtually every disease is caused... Uh, for some reason, hold on. Because of that, you have. Here we go. Okay. We got that turned off. For some reason, it mistakenly clicked on. All right. We're going to start again, and Alan will just delete this first part of the of the recording. For those of you who are live, we're sorry about that little glitch. This is Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery. You've just joined us on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. Our mission, our purpose is to provide information, support, and resources to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease and their family members. I have an exciting guest today songwriter and fine art photographer Alan Babbitt. I actually connected and met Alan 10 years ago when I was searching for images that I could place on the front cover of a book I initially published way back 10 years ago titled Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. I must report I spent a number of days searching all around to try to find an image that I thought would work for the book. When I landed on images that Alan Babbitt had created, and I have to report the minute that I saw those images, I thought, that's what I want. That's the perfect image for the cover of Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. I contacted Alan. We bought the rights to be able to use the image, and, of course, it's been on the front cover of the book now for the last decade. I've been revising the book for the last three or four months, and I've been seeing that image, I think, on average about six times each and every day for the last three or four months. When you buy artwork, of course, what you're always worried about, or maybe I should say what I'm always worried about, is if I keep looking at the art, am I going to like it as much 10 years from now as I like it when I first purchased it? I must report to everyone that every time I see the image that Alan has created that is now on the cover of the book, I like it just as much as I liked it way back 10 years ago. It's really a marvelous, spectacular image. Alan Babbitt, thank you so much for for taking the time to be a guest on the radio show today. Thank you, Robert. Uh, Thanks for having me on, and that's a wonderful testimonial. If that photograph works 10 years from the, the time that you first saw it, it still works. I'm really pleased. And it really is, Alan. I must, I must say, what I said was exactly my feelings. Uh, editing a book uh, that takes three months, I should say updating, I already wrote the book, was an uh, arduous task. And yet every time I saw your image, I got encouraged. I said, oh, I know what this is about. I'll keep going at it. So we finally got done. Tell us a little about your background. Well, um, 
1947 in Brooklyn, New York. And as any kid growing up in Brooklyn at that time, in the mid-50s, for example, I was a devout Brooklyn Dodger fan, and they would win the National League pennant uh, often and then lose it to the crosstown rivals, the Yankees. And uh, it was exciting times in 1955 when they finally won the World Series. We were so ecstatic in Brooklyn. As a 10-year-old kid, I was bursting with pride. And then two years later, they left town. They went to Los Angeles and broke every kid and adult's heart in Brooklyn. So that was my first major event in my life, I think, was finding my first love, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and then losing them a couple of years later. That led to a, a song, uh, which we can get into later. But uh, right around that time, my parents also decided to leave Brooklyn, and we moved to Valley Stream, Long Island, just a few miles down the road, really. And I grew up in a nice middle-class home, a very enjoyable area to to live in. Uh, there are plenty of places to ride your bike and to, to have uh, fun exploring streams and and state parks right there so it was a it was a good time and uh, that's during that time when I was in junior high school I started my path in in the music area when I abused the clarinet for three or four years I uh, don't know why I took the clarinet but I did and it was an inauspicious beginning to my music career um, until when I was in high school, I uh, uh, decided to take up the guitar. I could sing a little bit, and I thought I ought to try this, and maybe it would attract girls. Um, the fact that I didn't know what to do if any girls were attracted didn't seem to matter. I, I took a class in the guitar and learned House of the Rising Sun and other three-chord of classics, and uh, I was on my way. Uh, I also got my first camera during my childhood. Uh, I must have been 10 or 11, 12 years old. I got a Brownie Hawkeye, and uh, I started taking pictures and got into photography at the beginning there. Uh, once I turned 18 and graduated high school, I decided to leave home and go to go to college, I went to the University of Nebraska at Omaha, and uh, it was a very fortunate uh, choice, although I didn't know it at the time. Uh, while there, I became a radio TV major, and that defined my career, my first career, as a video and filmmaker. Um, at the university, we, we happened to have a TV station right on campus that was the the pilot or the, the flagship station for the Nebraska Educational Television Network. And if you were a radio TV major, you got to be the crew. In the afternoons, we'd come in and set up a set and light it and rehearse a 15, 20-minute show for kids and then tear it down, and uh, after we taped it, that is, and then uh, bring in another set and light it and rehearse it and tape it. It was great experience, and I became... Uh, pretty knowledgeable about studio television, which uh, led to my first job in Las Vegas as a producer-director for a PBS station there. Um, back in college, I, I 
began to uh, learn that there were more than three chords that you could play songs to, and I jammed with friends, and I began to get a clue as to girls at that that point. But uh, the first job, again, was in Las Vegas, and as a producer-director, I uh, was doing a lot of kids' shows, educational shows for the schools, and I found that I could write songs that would help get across concepts for the kids. I'd never written songs before, but somehow I felt that I could do it, and nobody said I couldn't. And uh, I had no reason to believe I couldn't, so I just did. And I wrote a, a bunch of songs and recorded them, and we, we used them in the in the videos and, and television programs that we produced there. Uh, TV stations are, are kind of burnout factories, so after five years, uh, I had had it. And uh, although the experience during that time was wonderful and I made some really great friends that I still am close to, I decided it was time to leave, so I up and left and went to San Francisco, where I've been ever since in the Bay Area. And here I was a a producer and director, uh, continued, but as a freelancer, I was a film and video maker, and I did a lot of corporate work and uh, and documentaries and commercials and just about everything for a number of years. Uh, it was here that I met my wife, Nancy, and we b- began to build our lives together. And, uh, and flash forward about at age 50, uh, I decided that I had better do something about my photography if I wanted to get it out there and let people see it. Uh, so at the time, uh, websites were becoming the thing. So I taught myself to make a website, which I did, and uh, pretty soon other people saw it and began to say, hey, that looks pretty cool. I need one of those. And before I knew it, I had morphed out of doing uh, film and video into doing website design, which I did for about 15 years. Uh, and I've also, uh, as a freelance video maker, I had the opportunity to do more music for the occasional corporate music video or jingle for a PSA. So, uh, and I also continued to do my photography. Uh, so my careers really have been a film and video maker and web designer. That's how I made my living, but I have maintained a, a real active, uh, real actively in in uh, photography and uh, and music, and that's that's it in a nutshell. And and five years ago, uh, when I turned 65, I decided that it was now or never for the music, and uh, I have over the past few and recorded some original songs. In fact, I just released my first, my debut album at age 70 (laughs) uh, just a a month or so ago. And uh, we'll we'll hear some 
cuts from that uh, album a little later, but but that's really my background. I understand you've had to deal with a physical challenge from birth. Tell us all about that. Well, yeah, I was born with really bad eyesight, uh, only partially correctable, as in don't let me drive your car. Uh, it, uh, I'm really nearsighted, and you'd think that that would be a, be a problem, but it's out, I've, as I mentioned, I've been a video maker and a filmmaker and a web designer and a photographer, all visual things. And I just never really let it, let my poor eyesight stop me. And just being nearsighted, really, I had to make some accommodations here and there, but for the most part, I've been able to do my thing regardless of my poor eyesight. How did but you don't Parkinson's... let me drive your car. <laughs> <laughs> How did your Parkinson's begin for you? Well, uh, let's see. In the summer of 2003, I guess it was, I was 56 years old, and uh, my right thumb and forefinger started twitching. Uh, and uh, my wife, Nancy, was an RN at the time, a nurse, and she was concerned, as was I, so we went and had it checked out and got a diagnosis pretty quickly from a neurologist that I had Parkinson's. And we we went and got a second opinion, uh, which turned out to be the same opinion, so I had to deal with with that, and uh, that uh, that's how it started. I must ask you, Alan, you learned how to play the guitar when you were a teenager to attract the girls. Did that make a difference in meeting Nancy? Um, well, I like to think at some point I, I played the guitar and sang for her, and uh, that's always a scary proposition because if we had hit it off pretty pretty quickly when we first met and uh, I know she told me later that she was worried that what happens if I don't like the guy singing and <laughs> guitar playing that could be a deal killer I, I I didn't worry about it because I knew I could do okay and sure enough I I was I picked a couple of appropriate songs to do and and she she was fine with it, thank goodness. Now, during the interview today, Alan, we want to talk some about your images and also your songwriting and your music. Why don't we go ahead and uh, listen to one of the songs that you have recorded. Can you tell us a little bit about the songwriter, the song titled The Songwriter? Okay, yeah, that's the title tune for my uh, my album, and uh, it, after I'd written a couple songs, I kind of was looking at my process, and it's always intriguing. I think it is for other people, too. It's intriguing to think about how you go ahead and write a song. It's, it's pretty interesting, and a lot of it is sort of unconscious uh, things, lines coming up and appearing in your head, and some of it takes a lot of hard work, and some of it's easy, but the process is kind of interesting. So 
after I'd written a couple songs, I, I thought that writing one about the process of writing a song might be kind of fun. And uh, I was looking for a way to to make it fun. And I kind of came up with the idea that what if there was a, a happy-go-lucky band of notes that were hanging out in my guitar waiting to answer the call and there were a bunch of words in my head that hadn't been said yet that were waiting to have their say and they collaborated with the writer me and uh came up with a with a tune a song about writing a song so why don't we go ahead and listen to it here it goes So now the notes were all napping in my Martin guitar But they were always ready to play The words yet unsaid were still in my head Waiting to have their say They were all rooting for the writer to write They hoped it wouldn't take too long For what they were seeing was their reason for being A chance to be in a song Now the writer, he seeks inspiration To appear in a magical way Fall into place with style and with grace to say what he wants to say. Sometimes it's just that easy with minimal effort applied. But sometimes it's painful, it'll drive you insane. You just have to put it aside. You know it's gonna stick in your mind. By now we 
Now, you had and experienced this tremor. Did you try to work around it in your photography? Yeah, I, I sure did. Um, one of the workarounds would obviously be to use a tripod, but um, that's not my style of shooting. My photography style is to shoot handheld, spontaneous, uh, to walk around and get high, get low, get you know different angles, uh, and a tripod really puts the kibosh on that that whole uh, uh, free flow of visual uh, uh, looking at things. Uh, tripods, it takes you 10 minutes to set up the tripod and get your shot. By that time, I've lost interest in the darn thing. So, <laughs> tripod didn't work. Fast shutter speed is another way to uh, deal with the tremor that can overcome it. But um, that really is limiting also. You have to be in fairly bright situations. You can forget about low light uh, shooting. It, it just doesn't, doesn't work. So I struggled, I struggled with that, uh, dealing with the tremor for a couple of years, and I shot less and less, and I was really not happy with anything I shot. It was... It was, it was just. I thought my photography days were over, and and then the most amazing thing happened. Would you like me to tell that story? Please. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you do. Um, I was in Las Vegas, uh, where I had been working years previous, uh, and. Nancy and a couple of uh, other friends were there. We were in, in town for a, uh, a friend's wedding. And Nancy and a couple other friends decided they wanted to see one of the shows on the Strip. And and I didn't really want to join them, so I borrowed her camera, a little point-and-shoot digital. And I just started walking around on the Strip. Now, the Las Vegas Strip is has got flashing lights and neon and I mean it's everybody knows how how garish and 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 visually it's like a visual gumbo going on there's so many reflections and water things and TV monitors and neon of various colors so it's pretty interesting visually I thought I would try some shooting and for some reason I don't really know where this came from but I got the thought that, well, why do I keep fighting this tremor when it's not doing any good? Why don't I try using it instead of fighting it? And a light bulb went off. Actually, I, a lot of light bulbs were going off right there. So I, I turned off the flash, and what that did it forced the camera into shooting with a slower shutter speed. And I started taking pictures and letting the, letting the, the tremor do its thing. And I, I immediately saw that I had something. Uh, it started, uh, the slow shutter speed forced the camera into taking pictures of 
blurs and and as the camera moved the, the slow shutter speed uh, made some very interesting things happen real abstract uh patterns and lights mirrors and reflections and i thought hey this is really this is really something and uh i i knew that that it was not only the tremor that was interesting but the, once you're in a slow shutter speed any kind of motion whether it be the camera or the subject any kind of motion is going to create blurs of various kind or softnesses or interesting patterns and by changing the shutter speed which i couldn't do on this camera but as it turns out you know if you shoot at a 30th of a second you're going to get one effect if you shoot at 2 seconds or 4 seconds or 10 seconds things are going to be different every every one of those choices so it it opened up a whole new it's like i could photograph the world in a totally different way it's like starting fresh again and uh that's where i began to shoot what i call unstill photography the art of motion within a frame within a still so you have a a still photograph and all of the the effects that you can do with a slow shutter speed uh create the illusion of motion and maybe this would be a good time to look at some uh, images they say a picture is worth a thousand words so I'll shut up and that can... would be a wonderful idea so we have nine of Alan Babbitt's uh images posted on the radio show page the address of that is blogtalkradio.com slash Parkinson's hyphen recovery. And many of you are already on the radio show page, so you'll see up there the images are now rotating. So, Alan, maybe you could just describe what the image looks like and tell us a little story behind each one of them. Okay. Uh, I think you, you should be seeing a right and left arrow uh, on on the the uh the images and if you click on the right arrow it should uh it should change them and and it should pause the uh the slides so i'd like to start with the a wheel uh a bright if you click through the uh through the images there's only nine of them and you should come up with a Ferris wheel, basically, uh, or a wheel, and we'll start with that one. The Ferris wheel uh, is very interesting to me. It was shot at a Fourth of July, Fourth uh, of July at the Marin County Fair, and it's actually a Ferris wheel, but it's really a reflection in the water of the lagoon that's right, right there. So you've got three kinds of motion going on in this photograph the first wheel is turning the water that it's reflected in is moving lapping you can see evidence especially at the top of the wheel that looks like little ripples that's 
the second kind of motion that's there. And the third one is my hand tremor. So there's three kinds of motion going on there. And uh, that, to me, was really intriguing. Now, if you click the right arrow, you should see a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. And in this one, the bridge is such a big monolith that it, it hardly changes at all. And what the, the motion is the camera in my hand in the front seat of the car. We're going across the bridge. The motion is in that direction. And you see the the blur of this, the bridge lights drawing your eye into the vanishing point in the in the bottom of the photograph and uh, so this kind of motion there may have been a little tremor going on too but the motion of this is really the car carrying me and the camera forward and creating a a, a smear of color uh, on both sides and now clicking the right arrow one more time this uh this is a bunch of swirls of lines swirling going up to the top right hand corner of the photograph. This was taken at the the county fair the same day the uh, same night the uh the uh, first wheel shot was made and this is a shot of fireworks but what's interesting about it is that the 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 round motion the circular motion is really analogous to the Parkinson's tremor, which is the thumb and forefinger pill roll when your hand is at rest. Uh, that, that circular motion is what I was doing there with the camera, and it, it really caught the fireworks and created the, the image that represents the Parkinson's tremor. Now, clicking on, uh, here's a shot of the Las Vegas Strip uh, with uh, just basically a tremor going on. And you can see that things become duplicated, and uh, probably this was a 30th of a second. And... Uh, it would have been would have been differently. It would have been different had it been longer shutter speed. The things would have been blurred out. But you can see the variety that's possible. Clicking on the right arrow again, you see a, a, a crazy. I call this holidays, H O L I dash D A Z E, because it it kind of makes me feel dizzy the way the holidays do and there's so much going on around Christmas and New Year's. This was, I think, taken on a street in San Francisco. And it's, it's just all the colors are street lights and tail lights and uh, stop lights and all kinds of lights going on there. And again, the circular motion representing the uh, Parkinson's tremor. Uh, moving along, this one is, uh, I call this Sermon on the Mound. 
and it's from a series of images I shot at AT&T Park in San Francisco, the home of the San Francisco Giants baseball team. And I, I call the series Shake Me Out to the Ball Game. And it's all images that have been shot with the slow shutter speed, some with the tremor, some with other kinds of motion. But here you see the catcher and pitcher conferring on the mound, and all the infielders are moving the same way, which kind of I thought was intriguing. In this case, it's the subject moving, not the camera very much. Okay, moving along. Uh, this is taken from the window of a train in Utah or Nevada. I'm not sure where. Uh, but what's intriguing to me is the the depth that's created by the foreground and the background moving at, at what appears to be different speeds. The foreground is all blurred out because of slow shutter speed, and the the foreground is close to the camera, and things are moving much faster when they're close than, say, the hills in the background, which are not blurred out very much. So... The, the difference in the foreground and the background is really helping our brains and our eyes uh, see that there's depth going on in what is essentially a flat picture. You have to create the depth somehow visually. So this does it by making the foreground and the background look like it's, there are different speeds going on. And now moving along, uh, this one is going down the road through the Redwood Forest up in Northern California. And I love the fact that the center of the photograph, the yellow lines, are not looking that different than they would normally look to you. But the, the, the sides of the, of the shot are zipping by like crazy. So there's there's two two effects happening, and again it's shooting from the front seat of the car as it goes straight down the road. Somebody said they felt like they needed Dramamine after looking at this shot. Uh, moving along to this one, I think this is the last one. This one uh, is again looking at motion in the foreground and the background. It turns out that if you have a slow shutter speed and you're zipping along, shooting out the passenger side of the car, for example, if the foreground is branches of trees and bushes and various kinds of greenery, uh, as you shoot at a slow shutter speed, it tends to thin out and stretch out the foreground and so you can see through it. And you can it reveals the the background hill there. So uh, again, it's the foreground zipping by so quickly as to to create a, a place to see through it. And I think let's see, yeah, that's it. We're back to the Ferris wheel. So there you have it. I'm constantly looking for new ways to create the effect of motion within a still, and that's the basis of of the 
uh, unstilled photography, and that's the gift that the tremor gave me. You're listening to Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery, and my guest today is fine art photographer and musician Alan Babbitt. Alan, we've all been victims of spam, and I understand you've written a song, To Hell with Spammers. Tell us all about that. Well, uh, I got tired of deleting spam emails, hundreds of them a day, and this was the first song I wrote for this this album in this new era of my writing and recording original songs, and I, I think that this is a new genre of of music. I call it grump rock, and it's really that it's so annoying that we get all this spam that I couldn't help myself. I, I had to react to it, and so. This is uh, the humorous song, To Hell with Spammers. There's a story people tell Of a special place in hell place so horrific it's just terrific for spammers where they can toil among their own reap what they have sown with slime balls and slackers and scoundrels and hackers and scammers where they're forced to work at the speed of berserk while hearing Oh, it's really the worst 
of your creation of unstill photography by all of us listening is that it created a quite a wonderful and marvelous psychological boost. Did this affect your Parkinson's symptoms? Uh, I think it, it did. Um, uh, it was a game changer for me. Uh, it, it really, uh, if I could... First of all, in photography, one of the major rules is you want your pictures to be sharp, in focus. People spend big bucks to get sharp lenses. And here I was breaking this rule. And if I could break that rule, I could break any rule. But I think for the, from the Parkinson's standpoint, uh, it felt a little bit like I was taking back some control from a pretty uncontrollable situation. And I think that was the key factor. And did it affect my symptoms? It affected my mood and gave me energy and confidence. And uh, it didn't really affect the uh, tremor itself or some of my other symptoms, which were pretty lightweight at the time. But uh, it, it was such a, a game changer in terms of my attitude that I think that does have an effect on symptoms, and it probably quashed some of my uh, my other symptoms. It certainly helped with the, the depression, that's for sure. Has your tremor gotten worse over time? Well, actually, um, I have three tremors. I'm a lucky guy in that respect. Uh, the Parkinson's tremor, which I mentioned earlier, is the uh, pill roll thumb and forefinger tremor. And that one, when I started taking Cinemet, that tremor was was taken care of, basically. I can hold my hand up uh, in front of my face right now. I'm doing it, and it is steady as a rock. And that's the cinemat that's doing that. Um, I also have a familial or uh, postural tremor, which uh, is uh, different than the Parkinson's tremor. It's when your hand is not at rest. You're holding it up in the air. Uh, and cinemat didn't do anything for that. But propranolol, which is another med that I'm taking, did take care of that, and the third tremor is uh, is um, intentional tremor when you reach for something at the end of that reach, uh, your hand shakes. That's also the propranolol took care of that too. So, yeah, the tremor hasn't really gotten worse. In fact, with the help of the meds, it's it's gotten better. You have a website, Alan. What's the website address? Uh, well, for my photography, my website address is abproductions.com, A-B as in Alan Babbitt, 
uh, AB Productions with an S dot com. That's my photography, and you, you'll find uh, several uh, portfolios that uh, show the unstill photography. But I've got some other things on there, uh, more traditional kind of photography, and uh, a graphic uh, manipulative uh, composite kind of. Uh, series called Photoblendo, and that happened after my Parkinson's diagnosis, too, and I, I think that the confidence that I gained from the unstill work made it possible for me to discover this other Photoblendo uh, uh, series. So that's the photography, abproductions.com. My music is available on another website, alanbabbittmusic.com. It's A-L-A-N-B-A-B-B-I-T-T, music.com, all small letters, no spaces. And alanbabbittmusic.com, you'll be able to hear my uh, album and all the songs on them. You can buy them individually or the whole thing uh, as a download. Uh, and you can also order a CD from cdbaby.com uh, you can buy the album on a CD or as a digital download so either one of those you'll you'll be able to uh, check out my photography and my photography is available also uh, prints for for sale uh, archival signed prints limited editions and and unlimited editions uh, are available, and the music is available, too. You're listening to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Rogers. My guest today is fine art photographer and musician Alan Babbitt. Alan, what suggestions do you have for other people who currently experience Parkinson's symptoms? Well, if you're not a photographer, um, I, I think what really uh, worked for me was to find a way to take back some control. And I think that whatever your symptoms, whatever your disease process, even people without Parkinson's, if you can find a way to take back a little control, be proactive, find find something that you can turn around and and create something to your advantage or to show, to inspire people, that will do wonders for your symptoms, I think. The other thing is a sense of humor. Uh, for me, humor is really important, really essential, and I'd be in big trouble without my sense of humor. In fact, one of the first things I did when I got my diagnosis was to try and find the humor in it. Uh, and so what I came up with, I, I remember very vividly the first day after I got my diagnosis, I sat there at my desk and I tried to think, well, if I can't use the computer, what am I going to do to make a living? And I thought, well, I have this shaky hand. I, I could be an egg scrambler. I could be a human back scratcher. <laughs> the best one was I figured I could get a job as a paint can shaker at a hardware store. <laughs> so 
uh, humor is goes a long way and I think also I've been very lucky my wife Nancy has been extremely supportive and I, I couldn't have done most of what I've been talking about the last hour or so without her her support and her undying love for me it's it's just very fortunate I feel very grateful for that have eloquently discussed the connection between your photography and Parkinson's symptoms. Could you talk just a little bit about the connection between your music and the Parkinson's symptoms? Well, I have, I really believe that music can affect your, your Parkinson's or it's affecting, it affects my Parkinson's. I have a, a, apparently a, a slow progressing version of Parkinson's. Um, my diagnosis was, what, 13, 14 years ago, and I'm still I'm doing fine. Um, I can walk, I can run, I can go to the batting cages and hit, hit a few softballs. Uh, my symptoms are slight, and I, I think that uh, some of it had to do with, has to do with music. You probably know better than I do, uh, having been involved in Parkinson's and people's uh, uh, what people do to help regulate their symptoms or, or make them better. Music probably comes up a number of times. I, I think people who are into music, even listening to a lot of music, can have an effect. Uh, but playing an instrument or singing... I really believe that there's something to it that that creates some kind of brain activity that that I don't know if it produces more dopamine or or what but do you do you have any idea what the connection is between music and and Parkinson's? Oh, I think it's huge just as you have explained Alan. It's clear that the medicine of the future is going to be based on sound and light. So I think it's exactly right. Sound is huge. And, of course, if somebody loves music, listening or even playing music, boy, are they going to notice, just as you've explained, for the people I've interviewed, a huge difference in how they feel and a reduction in their symptoms, just as has happened for you. Alan, one of your songs is Moments of Decision. Tell us about that. Uh, I I started at some point uh, being intrigued by the process of making a decision, or in my case, I'm a bit of a procrastinator sometimes, and so I was looking for, you know, what what causes that, and how are decisions made, and in thinking about it, I realized that the moment of decision is really a, a moment. It could take years to get to that point. But at some point when you make a decision, it happens instantly. And so that that somehow was intriguing to me. And uh, so even even the the other part of it was that uh, a decision, when you make a decision, it's it's like a throwing a stone into a pond with the ripples that go out and you can't really predict where they're going to intersect and what's going to happen after the stone hits the pond. But 
uh, even the most the most simple decision can have effects down the road. So all this went into the the writing and recording of a song, Moments of Decision.
Some listeners of Parkinson's Recovery Radio have just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Alan, what would you like to say to them right now? Well, uh, I, I would say that don't think that your life is over uh, because Parkinson's takes a, a different approach to everybody, and you may find that you have a, a fairly light progressing slow progressing version of it and so uh, you know do research and and keep your faith and things are you know constantly changing out there in the in the medical world and hopefully there'll there'll be uh, a way to slow it down or stop it uh, i also do qigong uh, which I found to be useful. Exercise is, of course, really important. And uh, wisdom healing qigong is—I recommend it uh, as a way to help with uh, symptoms. And and it's a good thing to start out on the right foot when you first get diagnosed. So keep the faith, keep your sense of humor, and and hang in there. Alan Babbitt, thank you for creating that marvelous image that I have so treasured these last 10 years that is on the cover of Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. And thank you for taking the time today to be a guest on the radio show. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and thanks for all your hard work and for making it possible for me to be here today. And that's what's happening on, you guessed at the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the children, all the men are handsome, and all of the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact that you have listened to this amazing interview with uh, fine photographer and musician Alan Babbitt, that you too indeed are on the road to recovery. Thank you so much for joining me and Alan Babbitt today. Good day.